Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. I'm Pete Wright. Right over there is Howard Tybal. Hello, Howard. Good morning, Pete. Hello, sir. I am excited about the words that you bring to the show today. Some very specific words that you bring to the show and that you've been talking about much more in your work of late. You have piqued my curiosity now. You're the one who brings the wisdom here, Howard. These words, I don't think, are used enough in higher education leadership, and I think it's important that we have this conversation. I'm going to start with an umbrella term here, and that is emotional resilience. In nearly 15 years as a faculty member, more than that as an administrator myself, I have to tell you, no one ever used those words to me. And in 30 years, uh, I have found that orienting ourselves around what it means to bring emotional resiliency has been in the background. What is emotional resiliency? What I'd say, it's a capacity to find yourself in a situation, you know, versus put yourself, because we often find ourselves in situations. Mm-hmm. and be able to navigate those situations in a way that opens possibilities for yourselves and others. The challenge with being emotionally resilient is that we are provoked all the time by unexpected areas that often can put us in a bad mood. We produce a result or we're preparing for a board retreat and we find out that the objectives have completely shifted. We have a team who is supposed to be rolling out a new initiative or a new uh, piece of technology and we find out that we can't get it to do that. So what happens is, is that we find ourselves in moods of frustration, often overwhelm, and sometimes skepticism and even cynicism. And when we're in those places, we don't have the capacity to move things in a positive way. And emotional resiliency is the capacity to be able to deal with situations, unexpected in particular, where we can navigate challenges and help others navigate challenges. I think it's been a missing conversation. I think many of us know people who have strong emotional resiliency. I think great leaders bring emotional resiliency and they can keep their teams and people they're trying to serve in a mood of seeing possibilities. And this is the area that I'm finding in my work, I'm exploring more with teams. That is the differentiator between those who are moving forward and being effective through challenges and those that are getting stuck. When we opened this conversation, I I said I was excited about some words that you were using. And and that, as it turns out, is a big part of emotional resiliency, uh, isn't it? It's it's the connection uh, of our own mood and our own orientation to a particular challenge and our ability to use and to cultivate language around that orientation. Yes. And, you know, the, the first area to talk about this before we get into some language that can really effectively help us coordinate actions, the one area that I have been working with teams around and observing in teams is this whole question of loyalty. Loyalty is interesting. You know, if we use a military analogy, if I'm storming a hill and I'm the leader, I want to turn around and I want to know that the per- there are people behind me that are following me up the hill. And as, as I think I mentioned in our previous podcast, I have talked to teams recently or have seen more, and I've even, even asked more teams this now that I'm hearing this message, is that I'm loyal to our mission, but I'm not loyal to my leader. 
or leaders. I can't tell. Is that cognitive dissonance? For the people saying it's not, because one of their excuses or arguments is that leaders will change. Mm -hmm. The mission is going to be consistent. Okay, that's valid. What happens when your leader says, we want to go down this, or even your boss says, I want us to go down this path. Are you behind them and orienting yourself and your teams in that path, or are you orienting towards, and this is the worst case scenario, there's probably worse than this, but one of the things I often see is managers coddling their people who are unhappy with direction and trying to, in some ways, insulate them from the the areas that their boss is saying we're going to go and helping people feel good about the direction. And I've seen some powerful shifts recently, Pete, where a leader said, my loyalty, my first team is not you guys. He said, I am not loyal to this group, to you. What I am loyal to is to the people that are my peers. We are operating on behalf of our boss. And this idea of a first team is now coalescing in my mind in a way that never has. Because when we, when we orient ourselves towards taking care of our people, what we're going to inevitably find is some people are not happy with the direction we're going. If you have a person you're reporting to is says, and their team is saying, here's the strategic direction we're going. I need you to help us get that down, that go down that path. If my orientation to that message is, I'm going to make sure my people feel good about it. You're setting yourself up for failure. If my message to my team is, my boss who oversees, whether it's student affairs or finance or IT or facilities, says, we're going to go down this path, that you go to your direct reports and say, listen, here's what here's where we're going. And I'm expecting you to go to your people and they don't have to like it. Obviously, we want people to feel good about the direction, better communication, let them know uh, how it ties to the strategy. But if we spend too much time focusing on making sure every one of our people feel good about where we're going, we're not going to be able to move down new directions um, just by the very nature of some are not going to like where you want to go. It's curious to me that we're having this conversation that appears to, on the surface, fly in the face of 30 years of management leadership doctrine, right? This sort of inverted pyramid of leadership. And we, you know, I exist to support those who work for me and support the organization as it goes up and and that, you know, my people are yeah. the most important. It sounds to me, and, and check me if I'm reading this right, if I'm <laughs> hearing you right, it sounds to me that what we're doing is we're separating the sort of work-life balance, human resources, support, encouragement of the of the workplace from strategy and direction. That's good, Pete. I love it. So I can I can absolutely see when you put it that way how people would hear this as moving away from building a culture where people are connected and engaged. I'm not saying that. I think we have to find a way to take care of our people. The dilemma we have is that I think we have found ourselves putting too much focus in that. And this is the disconnect when people say, our people are not connected to the strategy. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I'm going to include you in the strategy, but but I'm also going to make sure that everybody feels good about that strategy. It's just not going to, it's not going to happen. If you can get the majority of people 
to recognize their value in that contribution. That's the worthy thing to do. But more importantly, what we want to do, I think, as managers and leaders, if we've got a team and we have peers that we have to produce results with and collaborate across communications and, like I said, IT and finance and facilities and academics, the direction that is being that we're trying to frame at a senior level gets stymied by individual teams who have points of view about how every other team is doing it the wrong mm-hmm. way. So getting on getting your first team means if you report, let's say vice presidents, cabinet members, you're on you're a cabinet member. You live in a siloed world, which is you have a student you're you're a vice president for student affairs. You have your student affairs people that you have to orient. You've got your finance, you've got your IT people. But looking vertically just at your team, what that often promotes is making sure that we get our work done in our silo, not how do we make sure the senior team who has a shared view about where they want to go, how do we make sure that they get what they need? So when I say as a leader, a vice president in that situation needs to find a way with his directors to say, the loyalty I have are to my other cabinet members, and I need you to convey where we are trying to go as opposed to having your people complain about and buying into how much this is not going to help them individually. Now, it's it's tricky because there are individual concerns we need to deal with, mm-hmm. but there's so much more interdependency. Pete. Well, that's what I that's what I'm hearing, which is I think is fascinating. That's the way you are talking about it seems to be sort of step one in in breaking down other sort of unintended silos or even natural silos yes. across the organization. Exactly. Not everybody can do right. this. Not everybody's willing to do this. I think what this does is it 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 begins to uncover whether or not you are loyal to the direction your institution is moving versus loyal to where your department or division is going. That's a fundamental shift. And as I explore this, Pete, with teams, I'm discovering that the default nature is the loyalty to my to our vertical silo and I've seen teams begin to shift that. It demonstrates as a leader that I need you to come with me and our other leaders in this direction, and we have to work across these different silos of these different recently yesterday we were in a meeting and we talked they were talking about it as neighborhoods, which is an interesting yeah, shift like from yeah, silos right. they are they're they're different neighborhoods. That's one piece of emotional resiliency. The second piece of emotional resiliency is digging past the daily work and this and and it ties back to what we were just talking about which is recognizing and no matter what level you're in is the work that you're doing are you able to see how it ties eventually or does it tie to the core concerns of the institution so for example if we have a practice in the finance division to produce certain kinds of reports for faculty around their programs, uh, what programs are really popular, what programs are not popular, some of the trends, some of the shifts. Ultimately, that is about 
creating something for faculty that can be of use to them so that they can make choices as faculty. Too often, we just take the direction of our bosses to say, create a program list of what it looks like in these different divisions, and we'll share that with faculty. But but the missing piece that often is not spoken by the leader, but is implied is, I need this to help them produce actions in their world. And this gets to the first piece of language that you were talking about, which is being able to make effective requests and recognize whether the listener is tuned into the conditions of satisfaction you have. And a very simple example of that would be if I am a vice president, I'll just use a vice president for example, and I have to go to my board and show our enrollment figures after, let's say, the first of the year, what it looks like. And I say, all right, and I tell my finance person, I need an enrollment report uh, because I'm going to the board meeting. They go to their system and they produce whatever report is available to them and they give it. And then that person looks at the report and says, this is totally not going to work. Well, you asked for the enrollment data. Yeah, but this is for the board. The board doesn't want to see all this detail. Well, you didn't say that. Right. All right. So let me give you some of the detail. So I give you the detail. I needed this in an executive summary format. So now we're on our third iteration. And then I get it back and say, you know what? I need last year's data to do the comparison. Well, you didn't ask for that. So everything that's being uncovered in those three iterations are getting clear about what I'm calling and was coined by Dr. Fernando Flores is conditions of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. As a requester, what are my conditions of satisfaction? And when you learn through practice how to listen for the conditions of satisfaction, the element of time, what you need, the listening of the person you're requesting to, you can short circuit the breakdowns that happen in that area called making requests. People think this is, you know, requests are easy. It's it's easy to speak. Here's what I want. It is significantly more difficult to produce the result where the speaker says, you have satisfied my conditions of satisfaction. This can be learned through practice and more and more of our work is helping people learn how to do that. And that's one example of what are coined as speech acts. There is an awful lot to dig into here, and I am very excited to say you're going to be able to dig into a little bit of this uh, in person for those who are attending the Ikubo 2018 annual meeting. Do you want to talk a little bit about your talk? Yeah, so the talk is titled Leadership Without Losing Your Mind. <laughs> That's bold. I got to figure out what that means. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's my title. Emotional Resiliency and High Performance Leadership. So some of what we're going to get into is this whole area of language, requests, making offers, promises, declarations, and and even more interesting, we don't have time to really dig into now, the ability to recognize the difference between the assessments we find ourselves making often unconsciously and assertions which are facts. And often we confuse assessments from assertions. And, and what we're going to spend time doing is 
learning how these speech acts, some that open possibilities like declarations and others that coordinate actions like making requests, can transform your effectiveness within your teams. That coupled with beginning to tune into how the moods that you find yourself around your teams uh, are often there and we're not paying attention to them. We're going to spend time learning how to, how to explore this question of moods, moods of skepticism, moods of impatience, moods of resolution, moods of ambition. And recognize that if we're going to have our teams and ourselves produce the results we want for our customers and stakeholders, we need to learn how to shift our moods if we find that our moods are closing down possibilities for ourselves and our teams. And we're going to do exercises around those, which will be direct things people can take back to their work. I want to ask before we talk about session, uh, you know, session logistics and the practicals here, when you work on this kind of behavior with teams, how do you find, uh, what do you find their level of success in adapting to these new, this new language around uh, both interacting with their teams and their teams being able to adapt to a different kind of relationship with, with leadership? Okay. Is it, is it easy? I'm going to declare to you, Pete. Uh, this is not a real declaration because I don't, I can't do this. But I'm going to declare to you, Pete. I'm going to, I'm going to run a marathon. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I make. So if I make that declaration, I didn't. Uh, that's not a promise. I, I just. But imagine it. I made a declaration that I'm going to run a marathon, and the marathon's in eight months, and seven months in, I decide I'm going to start running. Okay. Or that's actually that I sounds about right. I don't, or I don't do anything. Uh huh. Uh, between now, maybe I run two, three miles, and then I go to the day on the marathon and I try and run the marathon. The analogy to learning these new ways of being, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, embodying these new ways of being with others, uh, just like losing weight, developing, you know, the capacity to run 26 miles or even five miles, takes practice, takes regularity. It takes a, a commitment to first recognizing that there's a gap here. Mm-hmm. See, first you have to know you got a problem. Right. Or, you know what? We're average, but average is not good enough. When I talk about the CD Kubo, this will be an opening for most people. Some of the people I know, I know will in the audience will have had practice with me in other situations, and they will be able to speak to the fact that the more work they put into this, the more they're able to recognize moods, they're, the more they're able to shift moods, the more they're able to ha- make effective requests and get what they need, make powerful declarations. My hope is that this becomes an opening for some to explore wanting to dig into this more. And we've got ways that we can work with teams to produce that. But ultimately, the short answer is, if you're serious about making these kinds of changes, you cannot get it from a one-time being at a conference opening. It'll provoke you, but it won't make any change. But there is a way to make the change if you decide you want to put the effort in. The Akubo 2018 annual meeting kicks off this weekend, October 21st through 24th at the beautiful Buffalo Niagara Convention Center in Buffalo, New by York. The way, b- b- by the way, yeah. do you know where I grew up? Well, you grew up, uh, I'm going to say Rochester. I'm a Buffalonian, baby. You know, I guess I did know that. This will be the first time I will have been in a uh, 
in Buffalo for a higher ed conference. And what's most exciting, I'm going to get to visit my mother. <laughs> Forget about the conference. Who cares about that? This is an excuse to go home. My, I'm going to go visit my She's mother. She's going to cook for you. She's going to treat you real good. That's right. That's exactly. Good. Were you one of the kids that went over the falls? Did you ever go over the falls like in a barrel? That seems like a story you would like to tell. Yeah, that's the, you know what? I heard of those stories. That's the last thing a uh, 15-year-old Jewish boy was doing there is thinking about those kinds of things. <laughs> thank no. You. <laughs> thank you, everybody, as always, for downloading and listening to this show. Head over to TybalInc.com to learn more about our work in education. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. If you like what you heard here today, please share with a friend or colleague who you think might appreciate a new podcast in their own library. On behalf of Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Education.